I just want to talk about something today that dads can relate to, uh, and that's being misunderstood, right? Dads, we are often misunderstood. Our sense of humor is often misunderstood. Our life lessons that we try to teach are often misunderstood. Uh, but not just dads, for, for all of us, nobody really likes, really likes being misunderstood, right? Uh, you, you said one thing, but they heard something else. Uh, you thought you were really, really clear in what you said, and the other person is confused. You were joking, and they thought you were serious. You were serious, and they thought you were joking. Nobody likes to be misunderstood. No, no, nobody likes to be misread. Uh, technology makes it even more difficult, uh, more easy, actually, to be uh, misunderstood uh, because even with emojis, it's, it's difficult to translate emotion through technology, text, e- emails. It's, it's difficult to, to transmit humor, sarcasm, irony. Those don't always come across electronically, and so we get misunderstood. Uh, people jump to conclusions. They think we're saying one thing when we're saying something else. Uh, Most of us spent a lot of time over the past year on Zoom. Zoom did not help when it came to being misunderstood. It was easy to be misunderstood over Zoom. I think most of us are Zoomed out, but uh, it kind of saved us over this past year. But for all of the positives that it was, it also created those awkward moments of time delay and you start speaking and somebody else started speaking and and again humor didn't translate very well and there was a whole technology aspect of no you're muted can you click your mute off so we can hear you can you turn the camera on we can't see can you make can everybody make sure their camera's off so we can't see each other uh, no, you thought you turned your camera off, but you actually didn't. And some people got fired for that over the past year. There's all of these ways to be misunderstood, to be misread, for, for people to jump to conclusions. And it, we don't really even need technology for this. Sometimes it's because we hear what we want to hear. Like we've already decided where this conversation is going. And so we hear it through the lens of what we've already decided. Or we're distracted and so we hear bits and pieces of the conversation and our mind kind of puts it together. Maybe not in the way that it was given. And sometimes we've, we, we want to say to people, that's not what I said. Right? That's not what I meant. Or the really aggressive one, don't put words in my mouth. That's not what I said. That's not what I meant. Again, electronics. Online is terrible about this because you say one thing and then somebody says, so what you're really saying is, and what you want to say is, no, what I'm really saying is what I said. That's what I'm really saying. So what you mean is you hate puppies and want to eat children. That's what... No, right? And then you have to decide, do I try to correct them or do I just say, yes, I hate puppies. I want to eat children. You're right. You caught me and move on because you know it's never going to clarify anything. It's, it's a struggle to be misunderstood. Um, we, we, when we were kids, 
Some of us played the game where you sit in a circle and sometimes we call it telephoned. One person whispered a sentence to the person next to them who whispered it to the person and it went all the way around the circle and every single time when it got to the last person, it was nothing like what started at the beginning of the circle. The sentence had no resemblance to where it started. Sometimes life feels that way. We feel like we're being misunderstood. We feel like people are putting words in our mouth and we just want to say, I didn't say that. If you're married, this is a phrase you have used probably in almost every argument you have had because the way arguments begin is someone starts talking about what happened yesterday or last week or six years ago or during the Reagan administration when we had this conversation and you said and then you added and then you said that thing and then at some point one of the spouses I didn't say that That's not what I said. If you're married and you don't know that phrase, you need that phrase in your vocabulary. If you're engaged, if you ever hope to get married, just start practicing. I didn't say that, right? This is a part of almost every marital disagreement. I didn't say that. It's frustrating when your words get misrepresented by somebody else misinterpreted by somebody else. And it's one thing, it's one thing when we misquote each other. It's one thing when we misrepresent what each other says. It's something else when we misrepresent what God says. When we misinterpret, when we put words into the mouth of God that God never said. I I think sometimes God is in heaven and he wants to say, I didn't say that. That thing you posted on Instagram from me, I'm not the one who said that. That thing you put on the billboard and put my name on, I didn't say that. The thing you keep telling other people as if it came from me. I didn't say that. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to study some phrases that get used a lot. We say them to one another, and and, and we mean well, I think. We, we, We intend good. Sometimes we're trying to help. Sometimes we're trying to be encouraging. We're, we're, we're trying to relieve pain or hurt in somebody's heart. But we say things that God didn't say as if he said them. For example, we often say to other people, God will never give you more than you can handle. You've heard this phrase. Maybe you've used this phrase. People have said this phrase to you. God will never give you more than you can handle. But God never said that. God never said that. That's not a promise that God made to any of us. And if you look at life and if you look at Scripture, it becomes real apparent that God did not say this. Now, I I think I know why we say it. On the one hand, we say it because we want this to be true, don't we? We want it to be true, not just for that other person, but we want it to be true in our lives. We want to believe that nothing will ever happen in our lives that would be really crushing, really 
difficult to understand, difficult to manage, difficult to handle. We want that to be true. It sounds like it should be true. If we love God and God loves us, he wouldn't give us anything we couldn't handle. We want it to be true. But I think there's even a scriptural reason sometimes we misinterpret what God said. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. And Paul says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I think biblically, this is where we kind of misinterpret this idea because it it has the phrase beyond what you can bear. God's not going to give you something that's beyond what you can bear. But what Paul is talking about in this verse is sin, temptation, disobedience. And, and, And Paul says, when you're tempted or when you sin, don't blame God. You're not a victim. You you can't say when you disobey God, when you make a mistake, you can't say, well, it just got the best of me. It was my circumstances. It was the people I was around. I mean, those all may be contributing factors. But Paul says, you and I need to understand just how strong the power of temptation is. And we are going to be tempted. And we need to be on guard and and spiritually we need to be feeding our our souls so that we're walking strong in the Lord. We need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit because temptation is really strong. But then Paul makes this promise. You're not ever going to face a temptation that God won't help you overcome. And God won't give you a way out. There is always an option when it comes to sin. You're not a victim of it. You don't have to just surrender to it. God's not going to give you a temptation that he also won't give you a way out. But when we use the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, we almost are never talking about sin, are we? We're almost never talking about temptation or disobedience. We're talking about difficulties in life struggles in life, hard times, tragedy, right? The loss of someone, grieving, discouragement, depression. That's how we use this phrase, not in relationship to temptation and sin, but in relationship to life is really hard and big and heavy. Then we use the phrase, well, God won't give you more than you can handle, but that's not what God said. Let me give you some problems with this phrase, some biblical problems, and and honestly, just some logical problems. Here's the first problem I see. What does this phrase even mean? Like, what does it mean to handle or not handle something? How do you define when you're handling something and when you're not handling something? Listen, I understand that we often say things that make no sense because we don't know what else to say. And I can spend a long time there. I'm not going to. I'm just going to say that. We often say things that we think will make people feel better, better, that make no sense at all. This doesn't really make any logical sense. 
Are we saying that we will never ever in our life have really hard circumstances? I mean, we'll have some that are kind of challenging, but because God cares about us and never gives us more than we can handle, we won't have really, really bad circumstances in our life. But, but I know people who love God and walk with God who've had really bad circumstances, like life-shattering circumstances in their life. I know people like that. And, and it was more than they could handle. What do we mean? What do we mean when we say that? Do we mean that we'll never have times in our lives where we don't know what to do? It can't mean that because we have all have times in our life. We don't know what to do. We don't know the path to take. We don't know whether to go right or left or straight or stop. It doesn't mean that people that we love will never die because that would be a lot to handle. Obviously not, right? Newsflash, we're all going to die. All of Everybody you know is going to die. Everybody you love is going to die. Sorry to be so cheery today. But what do we mean when we say we can't handle it? I'm going to die. Newsflash. I don't think I'm ready to handle my own demise. Right? If there's one thing I don't think I'm going to handle well is when it's my time to go. What do we mean when we say God will never give you more than you can handle? Do we mean... That God will, uh, will never allow us to get really, really depressed. I mean, we'll have the blue. We'll be down. But like, God will never cause you to be really depressed because that would be more than you could handle. You, you're not going to experience that. You'll never need a counselor in your life because God doesn't give you more than you can handle. The problem is I know people who love God. I, I know people who are faithful to God. And they get depressed sometimes. I know people who love God, who seek out counselors when they don't feel like they can handle life. Well, I know people who love God and medication is a part of what helps them manage and handle all the chemicals that are rushing around in their brain. I go to counseling sometimes because I'm not always handling life well. I'm not always handling relationships well. I am not always handling emotions well. What do we mean? What does it even mean logically to say God will never give you more than you can handle? This is another problem. This leads to problem number two, and that's this. The emphasis in this statement is on me and how I'm handling life. God will never give you more than you can handle. Implication, if I'm not handling things well, that's on me. That's my fault. If I'm not handling some part of my life well, it's my fault. Because God wouldn't give me something that I can't handle. So I should be able to handle this. And if I'm not handling it well... That's my fault, and it's my responsibility to fix it because I'm supposed to be able to handle it. I'm supposed to be able to manage every area of my life because God wouldn't give me more than I can handle it. So if I'm not handling it well, it's my 
fault. In this sense, that phrase is one of the ultimate forms of victim blaming. You're not handling life well. Well, that's your fault. It's not God's fault because he wouldn't give you more than you can handle. That's your fault. You need to figure it out. That's your responsibility to make things better. You should be stronger. You should be smarter. You should be more resilient. In the society that we live in, in the time that we've grown up, we emphasize personal responsibility to such a degree that if we're not careful, we'll begin to believe that everything is our fault and we are supposed to fix everything that happens. It's up to me. Now, now let's, let's admit, let's be honest. I've created more than my own share of my messes, right? I am responsible for a lot of the mess that goes on in my life. But the reality is all of us face things in life that we didn't choose and we didn't contribute to. Life just crashed into us. And it wasn't your fault. And you don't know how to fix it. And when we say God will never give you more than you can handle We've taken this idea of personal responsibility and we've kind of baptized it and spiritualized it and stuck God's name on it, but God's not saying everything's up to you. God's not saying everything comes back to you. There are going to be times in all of our lives where we don't handle it, where life is more than we can handle. And here's how I know. Here's how I know that biblically to be true. David and Paul, two of the strongest people in the Bible, didn't always handle life well. I mean, if you think of who are the really strong characters in the Bible, David and Paul. David in the Old Testament, he defeats Goliath, right? Kills a giant, becomes king. He wages war against armies and enemies. He rules the nation. I mean, he is the epitome of, of strong alpha male. That's David. Paul in the New Testament, he's beaten, he's in prison, he's rejected, he's shipwrecked. Like Paul, sort of the New Testament version of David, strong alpha male. These are the two people we would look at if we were looking for really strong characters in the Bible. But when you read their story, Yes, there were times when they were strong. Yes, there were times when they were, they were bold. But the Bible's really honest to say, there were times when, when they weren't strong at all. We have these prayers of David in the uh, book of Psalms that we call the imprecatory Psalms. It's like when he's, he is so discouraged and depressed and alone and tired that he starts praying some crazy things. This is Psalm 58, verse 6. David prays. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. This is Psalm 109. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May 
strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. Does this sound like a man who is handling life well? No, it sounds like somebody who's losing it. That's da- that is King David, giant slayer, is losing it. Now, if you'd walked up to David in the middle of Psalm 109 and said, David, let me just tell you, God will not give you more than you can handle. David would have stabbed you. <laughs> he would have shanked you right in the middle of you talking. And David would have said, I'm not handling life really well right now. Paul's the same way over in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We don't know what this was. We don't know... If it was a physical ailment or some other, we don't don't know what was happening to Paul in this moment, and it doesn't matter. What we know is Paul said, this thing's a thorn in my flesh. It is always there. It hurts all the time. I am always aware of this. He called it a messenger of Satan. He said it was tormenting him. And notice his prayer. His prayer is not, God, please help me handle this. Because I know that you wouldn't give me more than I can handle. So show me how to handle this. Paul's prayer is, I want it gone. Take this away from me. I'm not strong enough for this God. Right? Paul's admitting he can't handle it. He's not handling this circumstance well. Which leads to another problem. Another problem with this statement that we use, is it fails to acknowledge our weakness and frailty. It, it fails to say, I don't handle everything well. I do have weak spots. I am not strong all of the time. I, I don't know what to do all of the time. I hurt really deeply sometimes. I sit alone and cry sometimes. It fails to acknowledge that you and I have weak places, weak moments, and weak times in our life because we're always saying to ourselves, I got to fix it. I'm supposed to fix it. I'm supposed to be strong enough. God didn't give me more than I can handle. I'm supposed to be handling this. But you weren't created to handle everything. Psalm 109, that same psalm, David's losing his mind. Verse 22, he writes, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gone. I'm not handling it well because because I'm weak. I'm struggling. I'm frail. I don't have what it takes for this situation. It is okay to have times in our life when we just admit we can't handle it. 
We don't have enough resources in ourselves. We are not strong enough. We can't figure this thing out. Because here's a little secret. Here's a little secret for Father's Day. God already knows you're weak. This is not a news flash to him. When you pray a prayer similar to David's to say, God, I'm needy, I, I'm weak, I am low, I, I can't pull myself out of this, I don't know what it is, I, I, I'm not handling this well, God is not shocked by that prayer. Like God already knows our weakness. Wonderful verse in Psalm 103, verses 13, 14. Uh, David again says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he, God, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're dust. He knows we're frail. He knows we're human. He knows we're finite. He knows there's an, a limit to our strength. He knows how we're, he knows how you're made up. All of the good and strong parts of you and all of the broken, weak parts of you. God already knows those. He knows your dust. This is not a, a secret to God. That, this, this idea that it's okay for me to admit sometimes that I don't have it all together is perhaps the biggest problem with this whole phrase, right? Here's the big problem. We face struggles that we can't handle, so we learn to lean on and depend upon our Heavenly Father. Hard things are allowed into our lives. Difficult circumstances come into our lives. Heartbreaking moments intersect with our life as an opportunity for me to say, God, I can't, I need you. God, I'm not strong enough, but you are. I'm going to lean on you. And the more time we spend trying to be strong enough and be brave enough and be smart enough and fix it ourselves and pull ourselves out of it, that's time that we're wasting that could be spent saying to God, God, I can't, I need you to do this for me. God, I'm not strong. I need you to be strong for me. David finally gets some clarity in Psalm 109 and verse 21, he writes, but you saw Lord, help me for your namesake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. I, after all of the, let his kids be orphans and his wife a widow and a creditor sees all his house and blah, 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 blah. David finally just says, God, help me. God, help me. I deliver me. A few verses later, verse 26, again, help me, Lord my God, save me according to your unfailing love. Just a really simple prayer, not, God, you didn't give me more than I can handle, so I'm going to handle this. No, a simple prayer, save me, deliver me, help me, save me, deliver me, help me. I can't, only you can. I'm weak, you're strong. I don't know, you know everything. 
There was this leaning on God for strength, for direction, for hope. David, David prays, God, take it away from me. Take it away. It's, it's tormenting me. It's, it's all the time. And, and then David writes, uh, uh, Paul writes right after that, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We don't experience the perfect power of God when we're handling everything. If you're handling everything, if you're managing everything, God's with you, God's presence is there. You're not experiencing the perfect power of God when you're handling things. You know, you know when you experience the perfect power of God is when you can't handle it, when you're weak, when you're at the end of you, when you're done and you have no more answers and no more strength and you come to God and you pray David's prayer, help me, save me, deliver me. God told Paul, that's when you experience my power in your life, when you can't handle it anymore. Uh, any parents have stubborn kids? Yeah? Did you have the, the particular type of stubbornness where, where a kid wanted to do everything on their own? The I do it myself kid? Which when they get older, like, you want them to have some independence, right? You want them to do things on their own. But when they're younger... I do it myself is going to take about four times as long as if it would, if they would just let me help. And whatever it is, you're going to get one particular product or result if they do it by themselves and a completely different product or result if they admit, I need dad's help. I need mom's help. I need some help. You're going to get one a return from that, you're going to get a different return when they do it themselves. Like some of you parents, you got to the point where the what am I going to wear was a battle you just didn't want to fight all the time. And so you finally said, we'll be in the car, wear whatever you want. And then, you know, pictures of your kid ended up on the people at Walmart website after that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get one result. You're going to get one result if you do it yourself. You're going to get a different result if, if you just let me help. Just let me step in. You just acknowledge you need me. In our lives, during difficult times, hard times, we're going to get one result if we do it ourselves. If we are convinced we're supposed to be smart enough, strong enough, I don't need anybody's help, God hadn't given me more than I can have, we're going to get one result. We're going to get a different result. We're going to get perfect power. We're going to get grace. If we say, you know what, I, I, I can't do this on my own. God, I need you. I need you to carry this for me. I need you to walk with me. God, I can't. I got to trust that you can. 
dads, it's Father's Day. We feel as dad, as men in general, just men in general, we feel a lot of pressure to always be strong, don't we? We're provider, protector. God wired that into us. So there's so there's that. I got to be strong. I I got to be the example. I got I've got to protect. I've got to know. I've got to have the answers. And there's part of that that's good. That's part of that's your role that God's given you. But dads, here, here's what I, I would challenge you with. You, if your kids live 18 years in your house, I, I really hope there are times that they're going to remember when dad had to say, dad's not always strong. And that's why dad leans over the Lord. That's why I trust the Lord, because I don't always know. I'm not, I'm not always strong. I'm weak sometimes, too. And that's why I need the Lord at work in my life. That's why Dad prays. That's why Dad reads the Bible. Because I don't always know. I'm not always strong. I don't always have the answer. Dad leans on the Lord. Because sometimes Dad's weak. All of us, all of us, there are going to be times you are not going to handle life well. And the only person that's a surprise to is you. It's you. It's not a surprise to God. Chances are it's not a surprise to the people around you. Nobody expects you to handle everything well except you expect you to handle everything well. Well, and in those moments, instead of you trying to be strong and you trying to fix it, why not just receive the grace that comes from leaning on the Lord, trusting in the Lord, confiding your weakness and your heartache and your struggle with the Lord, because in your weakness, He is strong. His power is made perfect when you can't handle things. Let's pray for just a minute. Just quietly. And look, I, I know on a Sunday morning, I, I, I know that for some of us come in today and life's going great and it's been a while since we've had a really big struggle in our life and that's fantastic. I, I, I hope your streak continues. I, I hope life continues to go well and, and I'm not minimizing that at all. But some of us come in here and we've been trying to handle something that God didn't intend for us to handle without Him. We have been saying, I do it myself. And the whole reason God allowed this thing to intersect in your life is so you'd turn to Him. So that your faith in Him would grow. So that your trust in Him would grow. And so some of us, in, in the quiet of this moment, as I'm about to pray, some of us this morning just need to admit to God and to ourselves, I'm not enough. I'm not enough for this thing. I, I don't have the strength. My heart's breaking. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. I'm not enough. 
God, I need you. I, I, I need to lean on you. Just tell him that today. Stop, stop trying to handle everything. God, thank you so much that, that we're not little wind-up toys. That when we were born or, or when we were saved even, you just kind of wound us up and we're just supposed to walk through life, handling everything till we get to the end. but that you walk in relationship with us. Not because you need us, but because we need you. We need you. And yes, there are times that you give us the the fortitude, the strength to, to stand strong. But in everyone's life, there comes times when they're broken and they're weak and they don't have strength and they don't know what to do. Help us not to double down on handling things in those moments. Instead, help us to turn to you, to be like David and say, I'm weak. Help me. Deliver me. Save me. To hear the words you told Paul, in your weakness, I'm strong. That our trust in you would grow. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.